I think we mentioned last week, same old, same old. We were talking about, everybody know the devil, his name's same old, same old. <laughs> now, there's a, I, maybe not the old. There is a repetition that is fruitless. Everybody say fruitless. There is a repetition that is fruitless. It's, uh, it's like, you know, the Holy Ghost. You ever see a dead branch on a tree that's still alive? You've got to trim that off, right? Or you're going to pour resources into something that's not producing anything. So we trim off the dead branches so we don't waste the resources. Well, there is a repetition in our life that maybe doesn't produce any life. And the Holy Ghost will clip you of those. Everybody say amen. I love it when he clips me of, uh, of uh, dead works, of things that aren't producing. So there is a repetition that keeps you bound up and keeps you useless and keeps you in dead works. And the Holy Ghost will remove you of those things. But I do want to make a distinction. There is a repetition, there is a routine that brings life. And sometimes it takes repetition and time and, and uh, routine on the scale of months, routine on the scale of years to cultivate and to bring something forward that you haven't seen before, right? And sometimes we'll say here, you know, the definition of, oh, I don't even remember what the, what the actual medical condition is. Maybe it's schizophrenia. I don't know. I was doing the same thing over and over and over and Expecting a different result? Is that schizophrenia or is that something else? Does anybody know? Insanity. 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 Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Insanity is the definition of doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, right? Well, if it's a dead work, you need to clip that off. Amen. But there is a repetition doing the same thing. Paul says, if you don't faint, you'll bear fruit, right? And there is a tending to your own ground you know you're the ground right the word is the seed and there's a tending to your own ground that's day in day out month in month out year in year out to bring forward a harvest or something in your life that's new that's not been seen before and sometimes it takes time everybody say time usually see with god more accurately it takes yieldedness yieldedness I don't believe that time is really God's problem. It's more ours. And so we perceive progress along a time scale. But the time is not really God's problem. It's yieldedness. Everybody say yieldedness. And sometimes it takes time to get our hearts in a place where we're yielded. And sometimes that might take months, days. You know, it took the Israelites how many years? Took them years. See, in the type and shadow of the Israelites, that whole generation that came out of Egypt, they came out of Egypt and they were free. Everybody say salvation. salvation. That's salvation. They were free. They, they didn't have to earn it. They didn't have to do anything. All that had to happen was they had to follow Moses. And they, Moses took care of that for him. God through Moses, right? But when it came time for them to believe, God could not work with them. And that's not about salvation, that's about transformation. And the picture we have in the Old Testament is they had to go and wander the desert for 40 years until that generation, bit by bit, day by day, year by year, passed away. And the only remnant, the only remnant of that group was Caleb and Joshua who were of a different spirit. Same. And it's almost as if, you know, Jesus, he gave a parable in the New Testament. He says the kingdom of God is like a, a measure of, uh, of, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but you know the, you know the picture. It's like, it's like a little bit of yeast that you put in meal or you put in wheat until it's all measured, until it's all, you know, until it's risen and it's worked its way into all of that measure, right? Well, see, the kingdom of God starts on the inside of you and it is a 
overwhelming over time and way we experience it it transforms the inside of our heart spirit soul body until on the inside working to the outside every single expression every thought every word every pattern of behavior your imaginations and your mind are completely transformed and renewed to that measure that was put on the inside of you by Christ and see, it's Caleb and Joshua were a type of that spirit. They were the only two left. And it's almost as if those two, over the course of that time, the next generation, they were ready to take the promised land. Amen. And see, we are called to transformation. We've been talking about... <clears throat> we've been talking about... I'm just going to say a couple words. that these, these words have been going off in me a lot. One of them has been in reality. Everybody say reality. Okay. Another one has been heart this last week. Everybody say heart. There's so much written about your heart. Uh, we hit on David last week. And David, uh, the scriptures say, was a man after God's own heart. I don't, you don't have to turn there. If you want to write them down, I'm going to go over them rather quickly. I just want to kind of bombard you with this word. And, and if it has not been lit up in your thinking, hopefully it will today, all right? You don't have to turn there. You can just listen. And if you want to write the, uh, the addresses down, you can read them later. Romans 10.10. 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Everybody say heart. It's with the heart man believes. Okay, I thought I was just going to read these. <laughs> I was, when I was praying earlier uh, this week, the Holy Spirit said a phrase to me. I never quite heard it put this way. He said, he says, do you know it's impossible for your mind to believe things? He says, your mind was not given the job of believing. Your mind is for knowing. It's not for believing. It's a calculator. <laughs> but a calculator does not have any heart. Your mind is for knowing. I know that gravity's working, right? I know that this is right here. I can see all you. I know those things. But your heart is for believing. With the heart, man believes. Matthew six nineteen, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In one place it says that the men, hearts of men will fail them for the things that are going to come upon the earth. Why? Because their heart's treasure is here on this earth. But if your heart's treasure is righteousness, peace, and joy, and love, those things can't be taken away. That's why, you know, the, the apostles, they could go through some of the worst conditions you could imagine and they'll write in their letters, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, right? In one place, uh, uh, Paul wrote that. And he, at the time he wrote that, what we know from history is he was, in, he was in prison. Some believe he was in the Tullian Keep, which was a sewage system. <laughs> you know, you know right? Count it all joy. Well, you can't take joy away. You can take circumstances away, but you can't take what's on the inside away. Amen. Matthew fourteen seventeen through 20. Do you not yet understand that whatsoever enters into the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out in the draught? That's King James for toilet. <laughs> but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And they defile the man, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Notice it doesn't say mind. The root of it is the heart, whether it's good or bad, right? Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. And they defile the man, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. blasphemies. These, things which, these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defiles not a man. All right. Mark 11, 22 through verse 25. This is one of my favorites. 
Mark 11, 22 through 25. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his mind, doubt in his heart. Anybody ever had their mind give them trouble? <laughs> All the time. Can't do that. That's impossible. The problem, you know, it's okay to have your mind say things. It's whether or not it's in the heart. I have walked through things in faith where my mind did not necessarily, was not convinced, but my heart was convinced. All right? I mean, though the, the testimony that you've all heard is, I mean, I could give you other ones, but mostly that van recently, my, that van out there that God gave us, my mind, there were times where my mind was going, just go get one. You see what's happening here? I recognize, I know. Just go to get one. Well, I heard those thoughts. Everybody can hear those thoughts. And there was a time in my walk where I thought, well, if you hear those thoughts, you're already in doubt. No, those thoughts are your mind. That's not doubt. Whether or not you walk it out in doubt is the problem. Whether or not you carry those doubts into fruition or you worry or fret about them, that's what's a determiner in your heart, what's coming out your mouth. Because your mind's going to know all kinds of things, but they're not necessarily truth of the situation. Well, I stood firm on what God told me. I didn't know how I was going to get a, a new car. I just know he said he was going to take care of it. And somebody else brought me that. I didn't do it. Praise God. Okay. Doubts in the head are not the same. <clears throat> Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Man, that's an important part. Don't forget about saying most of the time we fight those battles in our heads. You better speak it. I don't, I'm just going to put my foot out there. A lot of people don't like this. I just don't see it in the word. I do not believe in prayers that are unspoken. There no, there's no such thing that I can find. An unspoken prayer. To just sit there in silence and say you prayed. No, no. Now, I believe you can have communion with God. I believe you can have a conversation with God. But if you're going to do praying, if you're going to do speaking and claiming ground, you better say something. Okay? I can have communion and not say a word. But if I'm going to pray, I better say. Amen? All right. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And we'll end with this one here and then we'll go on. Luke 6, 43, if you want to write it down. Luke 6, 43 through 45. For a good tree bringeth forth not corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. You know, for the longest time, I thought it was the treasure in my mind. I thought it was what I knew. Has nothing to do with what you know. I would rather be 100% heart and 10% brain and follow faith than to be 10% heart and 100% brain. Amen. <laughs> you, you don't have to choose. But if you had to choose... <laughs> You can, Jesus didn't choose, right? That revelation stream came from his heart and transformed his mind. You look at Paul. Did Paul know his stuff? Oh, yes, he did, but he was first and primarily a heart. <clears throat> you look at Jesus. Jesus was not a mind leading his heart around. He was a heart that led his mind around. He wasn't moved with his mind. He was moved with compassion. Everything he said and everything he did, he felt it. Could you imagine him being stone-faced while he took a whip <laughs> to the people in that temple? Do you think he was indifferent? You think he just methodically, robotically, out of obedience, rolled up that whip? Had, you know, I'm indifferent to what you're doing, but I hear that you're not supposed to be here. 
He wasn't like that at all. When he rebuked the Pharisees, do you think he said, you whitewashed tombstones, you brood of vipers? Do you think it sounded like that? I'm pretty sure he was yelling. I'm pretty sure he felt it. I'm pretty sure you saw a little bit of fire in his eyes and you might have gotten out of the way. <laughs> you know, if Jesus, if he came back to church in most churches, I don't think they'd like him because he was all hard. Now he spoke the truth, don't get me wrong, but there was something on the inside of him didn't care if they offended you. He was going to do what his father wanted done and he cared about it like his father cared about it. I said this a couple weeks ago. There's an element of walking with God that is obedience in the face of not knowing, right? It's obedience. But more than just obedience, you're called to represent his heart. You're not just called to just go do stuff indifferent. You're called to be moved like God is moved. You're called to be upset when God is upset. You're called to love when God is loved. How is God going to move through you if you don't love people like he loves people? How is that going to produce faith? And the scriptures even say faith works by knowledge. No, it works by love. So there is an element to your faith that if your heart's not vested in what you're believing for, nothing is produced. And I have felt this check on the inside of me in times when I have prayed for people and the Holy Ghost is revealing to me, look, you know the knowledge, you know the words to say, you know what's right and wrong. You've understood the word, but there's no heart. There is no care. There is, you don't have any horse in this race. You're not vested in seeing a difference being made. And because you don't love people quite like I do, the faith is not there necessarily. Now, he's not calling you to be God, but he's calling you to be like him. He's calling you to represent his heart. You can't just be so indifferent as to just say, well, I prayed. Yeah, but anybody can pray. We're called to have faith. <clears throat> A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance, everybody say abundance. If you want to hear more on this verse last week, listen to last week. For out of the abundance of the heart. I used to think it was the mind. Did anybody else used to think it was the mind? I've, the Holy Ghost has been showing this to me. He says, it's out of the abundance of the heart. His mouth speaks. I'm full of the word and I read the word and then I go pray and I pray the word over a situation. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is a heart abundance that he's wanting to pour into you that you represent him where you go and you care like he cares. And he'll be able to do things with those prayers. Amen. Well, one of my favorite examples and the one that he keeps using is in First um, Samuel. So let's all turn. We're going to take some time there. Go to First Samuel. Now David was by no means a perfect man, but this picture of what he did to overcome Goliath. Uh, it so resonates with me right now. First Samuel. And you can be turning to chapter 17. Now I told you last week, I made you promise that this week, when we read through, because how many of you know how much a shekel weighs? <laughs> we don't use shekels. What about a weaver's beam? Anybody know what a weaver's beam? <laughs> I was like, I was reading all this. It sounds impressive. I'm sure it was to them, but it's not hitting the mark, right? Okay. 
It's like when, you, when I went over to Germany and they, had, they measured everything in kilometers per hour and you're like, oh my goodness, we're at 200 kilometers per hour. <laughs> well, it's about uh, 110 miles an hour, you know. Anyway, that was on the Audubon, so it was, it was legal, it was legal. First um, Samuel 17, now look at this. <clears throat> now, I'm going to start reading verse 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. Now... According to measurements, that's nine feet, nine inches, nine feet. Is that, is that tall enough for you, basketball hoop? Okay, nine feet. <clears throat> he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and that doesn't give a weight. And he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of that coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. Now, there evidently is some discrepancy on what a shekel actually weighed, but is anywhere, what I, what I found was anywhere from 126 to 155 pounds is what that thing weighed. So just his chain mail, okay, just his chain mail, 126 to 155 pounds. That was what he used for protection. <clears throat> And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron and one bearing a shield went before him. Now, the average spearhead I looked up from that time period was about a pound, right? So you have a pound spear because you're supposed to be able to throw this thing right you're supposed to be able to reach out and touch somebody with it his spearhead weighed anywhere from 15 to 18 pounds now i challenge you to go take a 15 to 18 pound barbell see how far you can throw that that's not even the beam on it see how far you can throw that thing a weaver's beam was, you know, I, I'm pretty sure they used it for, uh, you know, sewing garments and things, right? Well, those beams were anywhere from two to two and a half inches in diameter, not circumference, diameter. And it was anywhere from six to six and a half feet long. So I did some measuring, and this, this bottle here, this bottle is about two and a quarter inches, so not quite two and a half, somewhere in there. Now, it's pretty small to handle this, but could you imagine a beam that big, six and a half feet long? I mean, I'm five foot nine, so I, I don't know. <laughs> Way up there, six and a half feet, about that big. That's, that's kind of like a, a post we, we use for horses almost. <laughs> and he's got an 18-pound head on the top of that thing. Now, we don't even, that's what we know. We do not know what his helmet weighed. We, do not what his, we don't know what his greaves of brass weighed. We don't know what the target on his shoulders weighed, and we don't know what his shield weighed. But what we do know was that just with just the weight of that head and the weight of his, you know, shekels, the, or the shekels, the, um, the, uh, the coat of mail, that was anywhere from a hundred and... 26 to 155 pounds. So we're dealing with 170 pounds, not counting the post for a spear and not counting the things on his legs, not counting the shield of brass on his back and not counting his helmet and not counting the shield that the guy was carrying ahead of him. There is a reason they put all this stuff in here. I mean, you, this is impressive. This is intimidating. This is 
it'd be enough if it was just designed to incite fear. But he was big. He was scary. He was a mountain of a guy. And he had been doing this from his youth. And every single... This is how the Holy Ghost put it to me. He says, when Goliath showed up, it was like he ripped the veil off everybody's heart and showed them what was on the inside. And on the inside of everybody's heart was fear and despair, except for David. And look at, look at what this did. He issued a challenge. If this, this is what the devil, this is exactly what the devil does. This is what he does in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. This is what he does with wind and waves. This is what he does with the smoke screen of what's impossible or not impossible. This is the mountains he places in your life. This is what he puts in front of you and says, look at how impressive this is. And what are you going to do with it? Because... Uh, most of the people that face something like that, they just turn tail and run. And they're never going to get that ground. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, verse 7. Spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. And this is, this is the enemy right here. And he stood and cried. Boy, does the devil make noise. Doesn't a scripture say in the New Testament, he goes about as a roaring lion? as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who can be enticed, who can be manipulated to receive my care? Who can take it? That's what he's doing. Why are you, and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine and you servants to Saul? Choose you a man and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall he, ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, <laughs> when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, we're not going to, I, I believe you should read this whole thing. I just, it's so excellent. But we're going to skip ahead and we're going to look at David's response. There was Paul's and the rest of Israelites' response. Now let's look at David's. Verse, go to verse um, 41. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and of fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He's still making a fuss, still making all this noise. Yelling, cursing, look at everything I am, look at everything I, can ha I have, what I can do. Look at David's response. Oh, sorry. No, this is verse 44. I want to read verse 44. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Now, we didn't read this part, but this guy had been doing this from his youth, Paul, Saul said. He was, a, he was a man of war. He had been in many battles. He had experience. He had complete confidence. This guy was not a pansy. He was not just... A, he was not just a flash in a pan kind of warrior. He had been, this was his profession. He did not expect this to be a challenge at all. Get in this guy's mind. I'm going to take this guy apart. And he's, he says, I'm going to kill you. I mean, can you just stand there and feel that? If you can imagine... <laughs> You ever listen, watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> you stand there and feel that fear. Boy, the devil does that. He looks for any kind of hook he can get in your, get in your flesh. I'm going to take your family. Man, I've had him tell me that. Whatever he can use to turn you. I think the whole country felt it in a way, but I felt it specifically from the enemy. Some of those, 
I don't even remember their name or, anymore. That's the way I feel about the devil. What was, what's those guys that were, um, oh, is it ISIS? ISIS that were beheading people and tea? Christians? I mean, it wasn't pretty either. I mean, if you, I didn't go watch the videos. I didn't want that in my head, but it, fear. And it wasn't just a carnal fear like country. I felt the enemy say, this is you when I watched that. Because at all costs, he wants to stop you from taking his territory away. From all costs. It wasn't just a country war. It was a religion war. And we don't, we don't fight with sword. Amen. But I felt that fear and that's what he uses. <clears throat> now look at this. And the Philistine said to David, come to me. I'll give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Verse 45. <laughs> look at what's in David's heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But where does he put his trust? Where's his heart? Isn't that what Jesus said? If, you're, if, you're, if your heart is on earthly things, but if your heart's in heavenly things, look where he puts his heart. I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. He's specific here. He's got a vision for this. <laughs> and I will give the carcasses of the host. Everybody say host. Not just you, all of you. I can imagine him. He's talking to Goliath. He says, not only you, but all of you. Can you see that? I'm not only going to take your carcass, I'm going to take all the rest of your carcasses as well. Can you hear him saying that? <laughs> of the hosts of the Philistines, this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with what? with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. <clears throat> Last week we entitled the message Believe, Speak, Do. David believed in his heart. He spoke with his mouth and when the rubber met the road he did what he said he'd do. Look at this. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose. Okay, so he's standing up. He's ready to fight. Let's do this. And came and drew nigh to meet David. And David hastened. Everybody say hastened. That means the moment he saw that Philistine stand up, he took off running right at him. That's what hastened means. He took off running at this. That is not the time to have second thoughts. That is not the time to be in doubt. What does it James say? He says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. <laughs> if there is an inch of double-mindedness, it's going to show up right there when he gets up. I would think it would have showed up a little sooner. <laughs> but some people can fake a good talk until the rubber meets the road, right? All right. And, <laughs> and it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, and David hastened and ran toward the army. To meet the Philistine. Now, I, this, this just, how is there such a different response in someone that is young? He's, he's not really inexperienced. He has some experience. But the rest of these guys had experience as well. They were older. They, had, they were in the army. How is David so different what is it that caused his heart to be in a place where God could use him to move that mountain? Because you know, God wants to use you to move mountains. He wants you to be able to face the giants, to face the mountains, to face those burdens of fear and despair that are on humanity. Those things that keep people in oppressive strongholds of thoughts, of system of thoughts. And when you go to overturn something that's always been there, 
there's going to be a fight. Do you know that? <laughs> Jesus was trying to transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And the people that were supposed to be God's people, they fought him. I mean, can you imagine the kind of religious mindset where you're seeing the dead raised and the solution in your mind is not only to put Jesus to death, it's putting Lazarus to death as well. That was their solution. See, what has been and the enemy's strongholds, they're going to put up a fight to stop you if at all possible. I, uh, one of my pastors in Tulsa, his name is Dave Roberson, he used to say, He'd say, if you want to have God's best, you have to go through the devil's worst. Because the devil is not going to let you just breeze on in and take his stuff. He's got this world in a chokehold, and you're going to have to, by the Spirit of God, stand up to him and get him to take his hand off. How are you going to do that if he can entice fear out of you? How do you get a heart that's able to stand? This is what I see in my spirit. I see people in the spirit of God standing up to the media and taking that territory for the kingdom. I see people in, in the kingdom of God standing up to the governments, standing up to strongholds and culture, standing up to lies in educa education, standing up to cultural norms and boldly declaring, this is not God. And what are you going to do when they fight back? What are you going to do when a thousand lawsuits hits your desk and they slash your tires and they curse you out and they crucify you in the news? What are you going to do? Because God is looking for a people that's willing to take a stand in a bigger way than just street corners. He's looking for people to change nations. But you have to have a heart that's not afraid. Amen? How do you get a heart like that? Let's go to Ephesians. Everybody enjoying this? It's, it's the Lord's message. I, uh, I enjoyed it the first time I heard it too. <laughs> He's the best preacher, you know that? I, I'm telling you, you you'll, well, don't stop coming to church, please. <laughs> but if you spend time with him, you're going to hear messages all week long. They're going to go on in the inside. That's not you, that's him. That's him pouring into you. That's him speaking to you. Write those things down. When your heart is open to receive, he pours it out. So oftentimes, though, we're bottled up with the movie we want to watch and the thing we think we should be doing that's just a dead work. He's wanting to refresh and revitalize and pour stuff through you. Everybody in Ephesians. All right. Verse 15. Ephesians 5, verse 15. I believe this key is going to make a difference. What we're going to get to it today. We've got enough time. And I believe if you put it into practice, it will change your heart. Just because... <laughs> Just because you're a coward now doesn't mean you have to stay a coward. <laughs> I'm talking to myself. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> Just because you recognize some weaknesses doesn't mean they have to stay that way. Don't let the world or some brand define you, you know, type A, type B. Who cares what kind of personality you are? You are who God says you are. If I would have thought I was somebody based off of what I knew about myself, I would never be doing this. And I probably won't be doing, <laughs> wouldn't be doing what I'm about to do in the next couple of years. Let God define that. Amen. Read about Gideon. Read about Joshua. Read about some of these, read about Moses. Some of these people out of their depth, but that's okay because, you know, don't, don't cling to comfort. That's what's keeping you back. Amen. Now look at this. <clears throat> See then that you walk circumspectly 
carefully, intentionally, on purpose, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be you not unwise, how do we not be unwise? By not understanding what God's will is. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. If you ever hear anybody say, well, we don't know what God's will is, well, let's get about knowing it so we can pray. (laughs) All right, I'm not gonna sit on that. (laughs) I've sat on that so much. (laughs) And be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So he makes a a parable. It's this tiny little sentence of a parable. He says, don't be drunk with wine, or as an excess, but you can be drunk in the spirit. Okay, I'm just gonna go through this. When somebody is drunk in the natural, when they're intoxicated, when they're inebriated, they do not perceive reality like the rest of us do. Everybody say amen to that. They don't perceive reality like the rest of us do. That's why somebody that's been drinking a little too much, they'll go pick a fight with somebody they shouldn't pick a fight with, (laughs) right? Because alcohol has an ability to take your senses and you baptize them in a substance where they're not giving you the right signals. Your ears aren't hearing right. Your eyes aren't seeing right. You're not seeing things the way they are. And Paul's saying, now don't be drunk with wine. But he says, be filled. Everybody say filled. Filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, the same things that's going to happen to you in the natural is going to happen to you in the Spirit, but it's going to have an effect on your heart. It's going to have an effect on your spiritual sight. It's going to have an effect on your spiritual ears. You're not going to perceive things the way everybody else does. You're going to see things and perceive things the way the Spirit of God does. Does that sound like anybody we just read about? All right. Look at this. How do we do that? Be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19. Speaking to who? Yourselves. Now, what I love about this, it's not just yourselves, it's also God. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your where? In your mind? No. Your heart has to get involved in your worship. Anybody ever been out to lunch in worship? Sing the songs, do we? Yeah, but your heart's not there. And you're not limited, well, I only get to worship once a week. No, you go home. You don't need you don't need a piano. You don't even need music. Do you know that? Now, if you know how to play an instrument, fine. But you're the instrument that can play and give yourself and God time together. You can sing and make melody in your heart. And it says, I love how he phrases this, speaking to yourselves. So it has an effect on me. Yes, it does. It inebriates your senses in the truth of the Spirit of God. It fills your heart with truth. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there is no coincidence that David's heart was different than everybody else, what also was different about him? He was a worshiper. He was a worshiper. Anybody ever read Psalms? I mean, bless the Lord, O my soul. He was always singing and making melody in his heart, and he was filled His heart was filled with the strength of that relationship with God. He felt it. He believed it. Everything he was was in on that bet, if I can put it that way, right? He was all in on that. And the way the Holy Ghost told me the other day, he says there are, it's like my children, there are times where their heart, you know, he just put it like, your heart can be more vested in your favorite sports team than it is in getting my work done. 
Where is your faith? Where is your heart? Where is it at? Do you wake up eating, sleeping, breathing, just living for the moment to see God work in people's lives? Or are you about your stuff? Are you worried about how your sports team is doing? If you get more riled up at a football game than you do when the enemy loses ground because you're walking in faith and kicking him out, something wrong. There's something wrong. Let's read a psalm and we'll be done. Go to Psalms 34. This was not a theoretical concept to David. He cared a lot. This mattered a lot to him. When, when, when Goliath said what he said, it, it made him mad. I don't think it made anybody else mad like it made David mad. He says, you hear what he's saying? He's defying our God. <laughs> anybody ever watch those those crazy Europeans, they, they go and fight because you're against their soccer team. <laughs> After they didn't like how the game went and they go fight in the streets. All the petty things to fight about. But there's a real cause, I mean, wouldn't it be what God's wanting to do? Let's care about something. Look at this. I will bless the Lord at all times. Everybody in Psalms 34? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Man, this is good stuff. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me. Well, here's a result. This is the fruit of this. And delivered me from all my, what? Fears. They looked unto him and were lightened. And their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all. Everybody say all. His troubles. The angel of the Lord encamped round about them that fear him and delivered them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. This is the same thing he said to Goliath. He says, you trust in the sword and the spear. And he's saying here, if there's anything that could provide for itself, it's a young lion. Am I right? A young lion could provide for itself. But he's saying the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Get the point. <laughs> <clears throat> There is an investedness that God's wanting to take your heart and baptize it in worship. And this worship is not just, how do I put it? Yes, it's directed towards God, but it's relationship, right? Worship is relationship with the Father. When you spend time in worship on your own, it has an effect on how you perceive this life. And you may seem strange to everybody else, but when Goliath comes around, something in your heart's going to be different this time. Everybody say amen. amen. See, because Goliath, those mountains are there. They're standing there now. The devil is on top of them, and he's saying, who's going to come take it? Who's going to come challenge me? And in your own ability, you're not going to win, right? But if your heart is baptized 
in the truth and the reality of God's word and that abundance is in you, when those things come, see this is what a lot of times will stop promotion is God sees what's in the heart. And if he were to promote you, there's a Goliath there. And he's not gonna promote you just to get beaten. He's gonna promote you to win, amen. That's what he's gonna do when your heart is in a place where it can take those things on, amen. Well, let's say this together. Father God, I believe your word is truth. I don't just know it. I believe it. I am going to spend time in your presence, in worship, and my perspective, my believing, is going to be strengthened, encouraged, emboldened, and every fear will be taken for the kingdom of God. And we'll go forward and have victory because you are with me. The battle is the Lord's. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, don't let this week be like the last week unless it was full of good repetition. Unless it was full of spending time in his presence. Because you cannot continually do that on a routine basis and not be changed over time. Amen? Amen. All right, God bless you guys. You are dismissed. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> gotcha. No, you're not. I, uh, and incidentally, if, they, if anybody ever has a prayer request, please come up afterwards, you, and I'd be happy to agree with you. But we want to pray, and it's actually a testimony, right, Daphne? It's a testimony. A couple weeks ago, we, we prayed for a lady named Jonelle, uh, a friend of your sister Tony's, correct? Okay. And she had brain bleeding in her, in her head. Well, they have now determined she is ready to go home. Amen. Praise God. So we're just going to pray and agree that there's not going to be any other complications. She's heading home and she's completely healed and recovered. Amen. Father, we thank you for the work that you did, and we know that you heard us when we prayed, so we continue to confess and agree right now that Jonelle is 100% healed, and she is going home, and this thing will not resurface in any way. We know that she's healed, and, and, and we thank you that you get all the glory, and Father, I thank you for continuing to do a work in her life beyond just physical things. I thank you for strengthening her spirit, soul, and body in Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen.